Amen. Thank you, choir. Thank you, Andre, for leading us in worship. Um, what an incredible message that song was. That nothing can, nothing ever will overcome the Lord our God. That He always wins. That He is victorious. I think if we could keep that truth in our minds, it would be much easier to hold back from temptation. It would be a lot easier for us not to give in to the lies of the world if we kept the truth that God always wins, even when it looks like it's dark. He still wins. We've had an incredible three weeks in the Bible as we've been reading through um, our passages in the 100 Days Challenge. We have began reading um, at the beginning of the year, and this last week we read the story of Joseph. And today we're going to talk about temptation. I was tempted not to tell this story, um, but since we're talking about temptation, um, the song that we sang this morning in one, of, um, in one of the medleys was Never Once. It's a great song. And uh, several years ago, uh, Meredith and I were asked to, to sing um, in church. We're not doing that here. Um, and uh, we were asked to sing in a church service. And I was looking over and trying to figure out a song that we should sing. And I came across this song never once. And I thought it was beautiful. I thought the message was so um, so incredible that never once had we walked this road alone. God has always been there. He's always been faithful. We've got a great story about that. We were single for a long time, but never once were we ever alone in that journey. And so uh, I thought it was a perfect song. So I called Meredith and I said, hey, I don't know if you've heard this song. But I'm wondering if we should sing this on a Sunday night um, uh, at our church. It's, it's called Never Once. It's um, by Matt Redman, isn't it? By him, yeah. By Matt Redman. I'm not real good with all that kind of stuff. He says, why don't you listen to it? And she goes, yeah, I know it. I was like, well, I know, but have you heard the words? I mean, I just started selling it, you know, trying to sell this song. This is the song we should. I'm real familiar with it, Mark. Re- really? Why, why are you so familiar? Well, it was sung at our wedding. Oops, I knew it was a good song. <clears throat> Sometimes we're tempted to hide things about ourselves because we don't want people to realize what a goober we are. But what I love about the story of Joseph is, is that even though his family were consistently in the Bible, we see how they lied to get out of things. He chose not to give into that temptation and to be a person of truth and integrity. What tempts you? What seduces you away from the person that you were destined to be? Temptation really comes when we don't trust God and we seek to get the easiest or the fastest answer to our present circumstances and needs. It really is what temptation is. You can whittle it down to that. It's going after the easy, going after the fastest, not trusting in the long game that God has given us and trusting that he 
always wins. You can look at that in affairs. Easy. Faster. Lying. It's easier to lie sometimes than tell the truth. It's faster. Get you out of the hot water quicker. Stealing. Easy. Faster. We have crosses on the front of our church property reminding us of abortion. It's an easier and faster way to get out of a problem. But we miss trusting God in the difficult and seeing Him create something amazing out of difficulty when we settle for the easier or the faster way. God's word shares with us about temptations, reminds us of some things to be thinking about as we, as we hit sin head on. Romans 6.12 says this, Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. We need to fight it. Verse 13 says this, And do not offer any parts of your body to sin as weapons of unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourself to God and all of your parts to God as weapons of righteousness. 1 John 2, 1 says, My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. God has given us His Word so that we would not sin, we would not fall into temptation. And 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says that there's no temptation that has come upon you except what is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. God has given us in his word the promise that no matter what we are tempted to do, he has given us a way out. He has not given us some temptation that we can't withstand, but that we seeking him can find a way outside of that temptation. And so today, I want us to look at four keys to defeating temptation. And I want to put that over the story of Joseph. If you've been reading this last week, we've been able to see the story of Joseph and how he moved from being a shepherd to a slave. From a slave to second in command of the chief of the captain of the guards, to prison, to second in command in prison, to Pharaoh's house, to second in command of the whole nation. That's a pretty amazing story. And through this, we see that his character gave way to these opportunities and responsibilities. All through the scripture, it says in chapter 39, it says four times that God was with Joseph. And that everything that Joseph did, God blessed and he was successful because of his great character because of his great trust in the Lord. And so the first key of defeating temptation is having a high standard. 
having a high standard. We see that everywhere Joseph landed, he became second in command because he did his very best. Wherever he was, he did his very best. I remember when I was growing up and in school, that's what my mom told me to do. Do your very best. I'm not expecting a hundred on everything. I'm just expecting you to do your very best. She was creating for me a high standard. Do you know why that she did that? Because when we have a high standard like that, doing your very best, you limit how much you'll be tempted. You limit how much you'll be tempted. You won't eliminate all temptation. We're going to be tempted. But when we do our very best, we limit the amount of temptation that happens. Because if you have a lower standard, what do you do? You see how far to the edge you can get without falling off. And what does that mean? You have to come up with little rules. Well, I can touch here and halfway on my foot I can go, but I can't go three-fourths. Added rule. I can have both feet here, but I better not do one foot. An added rule. In life, when we start trying to go up to the line and change our standards, we actually create more rules. And we bog ourselves down. Isn't that what the Israelites did? God gave them one rule in the garden. Broke it. Then he gave them ten rules. Broke them. Then we gave them a lot of rules. Right? So many rules that it was overwhelming. Because when we keep moving closer and closer to see how far we, how close we can get to sin without sinning, we're asking the wrong question. We're living the wrong way. We're burdening ourselves and we're opening ourselves up for more and more temptation. What did Jesus say? When someone asked him, what is the most Important rule. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. If we did those two rules and all the other commandments rest on these two things. If we focused on that, loving God, loving people our standards would be a lot higher wouldn't they and we wouldn't be tempted to see how we can get away with being selfish until someone figures it out because we're loving God and we're loving people that's why a year ago our church began looking at four distinct pillars that we wanted everything that we did to filter through. And the first two are loving God and loving people. Keeping a high standard protects us from temptation. It gives us the strength to be successful. The second thing 
is embrace personal responsibility. We're not playing the victim card. We're not blaming someone else. When we experience temptation, we accept personal responsibility. Before we look at at the passage where that shows and shows out in this story, I want to just look back over the history that we've had so far and realize that some of the problems that the forefathers experienced was because they did not embrace personal responsibility. Adam and Eve, he did not embrace personal responsibility. He blamed Eve. Eve blamed the snake. No one took the credit, right? They encountered temptation and they covered. Abraham did not take personal responsibility. I'm still angry at him. When we read a couple of weeks ago that he told people, Sarah's not my wife. She's my sister. Did it twice. Got a bunch of cattle from it. Be a man. Protect your wife. Don't hide and say she's my sister. Did you know, we didn't read this, but did you know in Genesis 26, his son did the same thing? Isaac got into an area um, and he told the people that Rebecca was not his wife. She was his sister. Genesis 26. Same sin. Last week, we, we heard from Noel about Jacob and how he did not take personal responsibility. He stole. He stole from his brother, lied, and said he was some, someone he wasn't so he could get the blessing. And we saw how that just wreaked havoc upon him. Then he wrestled with God. And we learned that last week, not taking personal responsibility. Blaming others. Throwing shade everywhere else but you. And we come to Joseph and he had the opportunity to do the same thing. See, the exact same thing. And he chose to take responsibility. In Genesis chapter 39, we encounter Joseph now in the house of Potiphar. And let's read uh, the first couple of verses of Genesis 39, verse 1 through 6. Now Joseph had been taken to Egypt. An Egyptian named Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, and the captain of the guards bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man serving in the household of this Egyptian master. When his master saw the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor with his master and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all that he owned under his authority. From that time, he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph. 
The Lord's blessing was on all that he owned in his house and in his fields. He left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. He did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after some time in verse 7, we'll keep going for two more verses. His master's wife looked longingly at Joseph and, he, and she said, sleep with me. But he refused. Look, he said to his master's wife, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in this house. He has put all that he owns under my authority. No one in this house is greater than I am. He has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. So how could I do this immense evil? And how could I sin against God? How could I, taking responsibility, not why would you do this, Potiphar's wife, but how could I do that? So many times when we are tempted, we want to blame circumstances as the reason why we do what we do. But for us to fight hard against temptation, we need to take personal responsibility. That we have a choice. We can choose to honor God in what we do, or we can choose to let circumstances dictate what we do. We have that choice. We have the choice to follow the Lord. We have the choice to stand up against temptation. Joseph chose not to follow in the line of his father, his grandfather, his great-grandfather, all who lied and deceived and threw shade everywhere else. He chose, when Potiphar's wife asked him to pretend to be her husband, to commit adultery, he chose to own up to the responsibility, how could I do that? How could I do this wicked thing after all that has been put at my responsibility? How could I sin against the Lord? And so what does he do? When we are attacked and hit with temptation, what what should we do? Well, let's continue reading. Verse 10, although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. This was not just a one-time temptation. This was incessant, every day, every day tempting and asking. Every day going to work, he didn't have the choice to quit. Every day going and having someone ask, and tempting you. Now one day, he went into the house to do his work, and none of the household servants were there. She grabbed him by his garment and said, Sleep with me. But leaving his garment in her hands, he escaped 
and ran outside. So what did he do? He ran. He fled. The third thing that we need to do to defeat temptation is to execute a swift separation. We need to separate ourselves from what we're being tempted to do. I think one of the the biggest sins that we have is pride, thinking that we can handle it. When we get into temptation, we go, "I, I can handle this. I've got it. When probably the best thing we need to do is run, is flee. We must separate ourselves physically from the source of our temptation. Get out of there. My mom had a rule when we were growing up about movies and how many cuss words we could hear. Uh, She's real concerned about that. And so we had six cuss words that we were allowed to hear, and then we had to get up out of the movie theater and march out. There's five children, my stepdad, me. And so I think she made that rule one time, and that's all she had to do because the kids counted from then on out. You know, we would count one, there's one. When we got to six, we'd just get up and just irritated. We got to go. We're out. Because she was concerned about what we heard. Now, if there was anything that was going on um, that was more, um, uh, more showing than we needed to see, more visual, um, then we were out right away. My mom would hide my eyes and we would run. I'm sure we looked awesome. But I'm thankful for that because she taught me the importance of diverting my eyes. Not only do we need to separate ourselves physically, but we need to separate ourselves visually. Times that we just need to bounce our eyes off of sin and move our attention and our eyes to something else. So important to do that. Because the longer you stare at something, the more you think about it. Right? And the more that we think about something, the more we work out why it wouldn't be so bad to do it. Right? And so it's so important to not only physically run, but move your eyes away from things that will cause you to stumble. That means when you see something that you want, but you don't have the money to buy it, don't go to that shop. Remove yourself from it. Visually, look away. When you wish that you had something that someone else has, look away. Think on something else. We need to not be prideful and think we can handle it, but go ahead 
and take the, the step quickly, swiftly. Because the longer we think, the more we work ourselves into it being okay. So what should we think about instead? Well, that's the last step. The last step is pursue passionate devotion. It's not just about not thinking about something that causes us to be tempted, but it is about putting our eyes and our mind on the Lord and trusting Him that He will meet our needs. All of our needs. Every one of them. Pursue passionate devotion. When we keep God as our ultimate, it helps us see things through the false promises that our temptations are throwing at us. If God is our ultimate, if He's the ultimate, the thing that we put as the most important, then anything else that tempts us to be satisfied differently pales in comparison to how good God is. Can you imagine if Joseph thought when he was at Potiphar's house, this is the best it's going to be. I've done pretty well. My brothers sold me into slavery. And of all the places that I could be a slave, at least it was in this guy's house who was in charge of a lot of things. And I'm going to do my best And he took notice of him. And now I'm second in command. I'm not only his attendant as the captain of the guards. I'm also over all of his household. Not only am I over all of his household, I'm over all of his fields. I'm over everything. I'm at the highest I can possibly be. And things are good. What if he's thought this was it? Wouldn't that have been easy to fall into temptation and get in good with the wife? But see, he trusted the Lord and he said, I will not sin against, not Potiphar, against God. Because I'm going to pursue him above everything else. So what did he get for this devotion, for this pursuit of God above all else? Prison. That doesn't sound like a great upward mobility, does it? But you know, it was better than what usually happens when someone is accused of raping or trying to rape a wife of prominence. That's death. In the laws back then, he should have died. But instead he went to prison. And what happened in prison? He did his very best. God was with him. God blessed him. It says that that God's kindness was upon him. And that he was successful in everything he did. And what happened? 
he became second in command in prison. And he was there for a while, and then these two people came to prison because it was the king's prison, a baker and the cupbearer. And they had these dreams. And he interpreted the dreams and told them what was going to happen. And he said, when you see the Pharaoh, don't forget about me. Tell, tell him about me. And so they went back. The, in three days, they went back into the, into, the, into the court. And exactly what Joseph said would happen, happened. One of them died. First time in the Bible, actually, that we hear about lifting up your head, which y'all sang about that today, which I thought was interesting. Um, one of them died, and one of them was spared, the cupbearer. And he totally forgot about Joseph. Didn't say a thing. Two years later, still in prison. And then Pharaoh had a dream. It was so disturbing. And the cupbearer remembered Joseph and said, I know a guy. They brought Joseph to the Pharaoh. Pharaoh told him of the dream. Joseph gave the interpretation of the dream. And Pharaoh put him second in command over everything in Egypt. Only God can do that. Only God can make that story happen from a shepherd boy to second in command under the most powerful nation of that time. Only God can do that. And why did he do that? To save his people because there was a great famine for seven years and no one had food to eat. And so the Israelite people had food because the second in command was their favored son. What an amazing story. Pursue passionate devotion to the Lord because He can make every story, your story, my story, redemptive. He can bring healing. He can bring about a new day, even when it seems like there really is no way for that. So what should we do? How should we pursue passionate devotion to God? Philippians 4.8 says this, which is incredibly helpful. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything of moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Dwell on these things. When you are tempted, go, is that true? Is God in this? Not, I'm not dwelling on it. Is it honorable? Would this honor the Lord in what I'm, what I'm being called to do? If not, I'm not going to do it. Is it just? If it saw the light of day, 
Would I be praised or would I go to prison? Is it pure? Is my motives pure? Are my actions pure? Is it lovely? Does it bring beauty to the world? Does it make me smile or does it make me cringe? Is it commendable? Is it morally excellent? Is it praiseworthy? See, when we say love God, be devoted to God, what it's saying is, is that we are loving God and we want to be like him. We value his character. We want to be more like him. And so we want to think on him. What he values, we want to value. How do we get away from the allure of temptation that promises much and gives us little? We think upon the Lord. Romans 8, 13 says this, If you live according to the flesh, then you're going to die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, and you will live. You know, how does this story end? We, we didn't get to really read all of the story as it ended. We read a little bit about, um, if you've been going along with the reading, you read how the, the brothers came and needed to get... Um, needed to get food and Joseph provided it. And we, we learned a little story of how he, he kind of um, got Benjamin to come and he wanted to see their hearts had they truly repented of the, of the sin of selling him into to slavery. And we go through that whole process and, and he finally reveals himself and says, it's me, I'm your, I'm your brother Joseph, come. Bring the whole family, everyone come and you can live in the best part of Egypt. And you can, you can bring, your, bring your sheep and you can be shepherds here. And so they did. And they found favor with Joseph. And then we read in Genesis 50 that his dad dies. And all the fear comes back up with the brothers because they had done Joseph so wrong. And they worried that now that the dad was dead that he would Go after them. And in, in Genesis chapter 15, we see how he responds. 50 verse 15 says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said to one another, If Joseph is holding a grudge against us, he will certainly repay us for the suffering that we've caused him. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before he died, your father gave a command. Say this to Joseph. Please forgive your brother's transgressions and their sin, the suffering that they caused you. Therefore, therefore, please forgive the transgressions of the servants of God and of your father. And Joseph wept when this message came to him. His brothers also came to him, bowed before him and said, we are your slaves. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me, but God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival 
of many people. The reason that he could withstand temptation to get even was because he focused on God and saw that this was God's plan all along. That no matter the difficulty he had in the meantime, he saw God's ultimate plan and the present result was hundreds of people were saved because he was faithful and trusted the Lord. Only God can do that. Only God can move a young man full of himself to be a slave, second in command to the captain of the guards, to prison, to second in command in prison, to Pharaoh's court, to second in command over all of the nation of Egypt. And he will only move such a man or a woman who trusts in God and God alone, no matter what the path may look like today. Why would we not be devoted to the only one who could be that redemptive, that creative, that amazing to redeem our story? Why would we not want to be devoted to him? Maybe you're in the darkest pages of your journey so far, and it's hard. It's hard to trust and to believe that anything good could happen. Trust God. Don't be tempted to gain the fast and the easy answer because it will not satisfy you, nor will it get you to the destination that God has created you to be. Trust him. He's not finished with you yet. And his story, his story is already better than anything that we could create on our own. So what do I want you to remember from this sermon, what has God been placing on my heart? Seek God in your life. Seek God in your life. Don't blame others or circumstances, but to continue to seek God. And when something or someone promises a fast and easy answer, run away. Don't look back. Don't Think on it. Think on him. And then ask the Lord to remind you of his presence, of his kindness, of his provision, of his plan. And when it's darkest, still trust. There are many stories in the Bible that we see people move from dark to light that God redeems, that God saves, that God restores. There are many people that are sitting in the pews right next to you that could tell you their story of how God is faithful and that they went through difficult times, but God was faithful still. God has given us some great tools to fight against temptation. His word. I'm so encouraged that we as a church have made it a a plan, a purpose, a desire to read his word for the next hundred days. God's going to use that to remind us of who he is and that we can trust him. I'm so thankful because it also means that we're now sharing the same stories and we can be talking about what God has been revealing to us. And that's an encouragement 
That we as, as people of faith can say, this is what God is doing. This is how God has come through. What a gift God has given us in that. I don't want us to miss it, church. Temptation is easy when our eyes are off of the Lord. But temptation has no power when our eyes are on Him fully. And the best way to put our eyes on the Lord is to spend time with Him. If you haven't had the opportunity to start the 100 days, it's not too late. Don't catch up. Just start. Start where we're at. We're going through the, through the story of Moses this week, and it's going to be incredible to hear how God walked with Moses. Don't miss that. And maybe you realize that you have spent most of your time falling into temptation and falling into the fast and the easy. Isn't it crazy how the world is all about that? Fast food, fast everything, easy everything. We have to fight against that on every level. And maybe what you need to do today is just say, Lord, help me trust you. Help me look at the long game and not the short, fast, and useless answers that I've been trying for. And maybe today that's what you need to do is while we have our time of invitation, just saying, Lord, give me eyes to see your hand and I'll trust you as I walk this journey. Maybe you've never accepted Christ. You've never let him be Lord of your life. And this is the day that you'd like to do that. There will be people here at the front that can talk with you and share with you about the incredible journey that God wants to place you on. Maybe you realize you need to be a part of a community that encourages you to stand strong, to run when you need to run, to fall hard after the Lord. Maybe this is the place that you need to be a part of. And you can come forward and talk to us. We've got a, a, a new members class that will tell you who we are, what we believe, and help you know how to be a part of an incredible body of believers who desire to pray for you and walk with you in the journey of life together. Whatever God is calling you to do, don't delay. Move quickly. Respond. Because when we delay, we work out and are tempted to just wait another day. And then that day never shows up. So don't delay. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Seek him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for today and for giving us an opportunity to come, to be encouraged by your word, to be challenged. Father, there are so many times that we are tempted to do things because we just want immediate relief. We want to be immediately satisfied. And then it falls so short of what we had hoped for. But Lord, your way is, is the best way. Your plan is the best plan. You sent your son so that we could have life and we could have it abundantly. You sent your son so that we could have relationship with you. Father, help us to focus upon you and you alone. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?